within like three minutes, it's like, hey, you, your life is gone now. We're restructuring the morning show. And I'm like, what? The goal is to still make great radio. Put in the time, do the work. I associated laughing with radio, and that's kind of why I always wanted to be a part of it. In this business, we forget just how great it is. This is the Off Mic Podcast, a radio show about radio life. This week on the show, it's radio free agent Sarah Nick. Sarah Nick, how does this start? You wanting to be in radio? All the way to the beginning. Okay, so I was 18. And um, I kept getting picked out of class for talking and being loud in high school. And my teacher actually suggested, like, you know, what do you want to do? Have you talked to anyone? Have you reached out to anyone? I said, I don't really know what I want to do. Like, I don't know what I'd be good at. And my teacher actually suggested, well, why don't you try doing radio? And I'm like, oh, only famous people get to do radio, right? No, I ended up getting into it. I got a hold of Rickley at uh, Sonic and The Bounce in Edmonton. Just devoted my time, the rest of my high school time, to go volunteer there and work on their street team. So that was really cool. So that was like my first foot in the door. And then I graduated from high school and I got right into radio at Nate. It was pretty wild. Like I was in the industry pretty much right away. Were you growing up the kind of kid that listened to the radio? Like I know you're young enough to have been around MP3 players, iPods, all that stuff. Did you have a connection to the radio before someone was like, hey, you talk too much? I always loved music. Like that was something I was always passionate about. Like I, I have vinyl. I have all that fun stuff. Um, it's LimeWire when that was a thing. Like <laughs> that was a huge part of like my growing up. I would always be picking the music to playlists at the parties, all that stuff. So it was a really music driven thing. And then I loved talk shows, and I did grow up obviously listening to the radio and all that. So I always found it was interesting, but I never actually thought, oh my goodness, I could do this for a job because again. I thought that you had to be like this famous person, you had to know all these things, you had to, you know, do all this work to get there. And I just, I didn't really understand how it worked at the time. Rick was a really big player. Rick Lee was a big player in this because he got me into Sonic and then was a really good reference that I still have to this day. The intern army from Sonic, I talk about it all the time on this podcast, is one of the best street team outfits in the country. What was it like to uh, to throw on the orange jumpsuit and, and get out there? Amazing. I have nothing bad to say about Sonic. It's my favorite radio station. I've loved it since day one. I listened to it before I was in radio even. So when I actually got to wear the intern army jacket, it was like the big deal. You were the cool kid on the block, you know, like you had all the cool music, you knew all the cool DJs, you had all the coolest concerts. Like specifically, there was a huge storm and the Foo Fighters decided to release their tickets through box office in person. So we set up this event in the middle of winter with like, it was like we had an ice cream shop in like a tent. <laughs> and while listeners were waiting in line to get their tickets, they could come and have ice cream with us. It was the coolest thing ever. Literally the coolest thing. <laughs> <laughs> but when you look back on a street team or a promo career, a lot of people, they remember the concerts that they got to go to, the events they got to go to, some mm. of the, the different things like that. Did you ever do anything weird? Like when I was on street team, I did a ton of weird shit. At one point, I was putting leeches into a bathtub with a guy wearing three women's thongs. <laughs> I'm sure I could think of one. Um, I'm just trying to think. We've done a lot of weird things, like always intern armies are kind of like the guinea pigs. It's like, oh, well, if this doesn't work, you guys are going to be the ones to embarrass yourselves. So like 
we did, we had to wear like underwear and do an underwear run before um, that had like 91.7 the bounce on the booty and all that. I still have those boxers to this day, actually. <laughs> so we've done a lot of really cool things. And like Sonic was such a weird like alt rock station. So the memories I remember from Sonic the most is definitely like Sonic Boom. My phone actually got ran over by one of the artists um, driving into the festival and bent my phone in half, but it still managed to work. So I was working with a phone that was literally bent in half. Please tell me you know it which was, artist it was. I honestly think it might have been from Cage the Elephant because <laughs> I knew that we met with him later that day. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure it was Cage the Elephant. But again, could be wrong on that part. However, it was hilarious because everyone was there inside. My phone worked up until a year after, so it was great. Well, that's all right then. I mean, that's a well-built phone. I know, right? iPhone. Everyone, you know, don't knock it till you try it, okay? <laughs> oh, no, we're not plugging iPhones. This is an Android show. I'm sorry. You're going to have to go. I, I was waiting. I was like, <laughs> oh, someone's going to get mad. Yeah. <laughs> So you got to work with a guy like Rick Lee, and I mean, that guy's been everywhere, done everything, a great mentor, a great guy to talk to and, and, and pick the brain of for the business. But it wasn't until after you had been working in the street team for a while that you actually went to radio school. Once you got to Nate and you're in the classes and you're in the studios and you're actually getting some hands-on training, did it come as a bit of a shock as to what actually goes into being on the radio? Absolutely. So here I am, this loser. I walked in late my first day of college because I hit a parked car. So I was late. I had no idea what I was doing. I thought I was just going to go in, like, I don't know, talk in a microphone and play music. I didn't know how it really worked. I thought that was it. That was the only thing you could do. But the first class, they like pretty much break it down being like, okay, you're going to have to move. You're going to be poor. Um, and you can do a bunch of different avenues. And it's like, wow. I thought this was completely different. <laughs> I loved it though. Like I loved going to Nate. I had the best time and made like the best friends ever there and learned so much. Like it was such a growing experience for me because I was 18 when I got into Nate and like uh, one of the youngest ones in our class. So I learned a lot about news. I learned a lot about, you know, people skills. Um, maturity was a huge thing. That was like, the biggest thing probably was like, okay, you, you have to like kind of be a little bit grown up here. You can still have fun, but like you have to learn. You're here for a reason. So uh, yeah, it was awesome. I loved it. I love trying to kind of place together graduating classes from different radio schools. Is there anybody mm -hmm. who is in your class at Nate that's still in the industry doing stuff today? So I know that Bailey Parker is in Victoria. A lot of my class, sadly, is doing different avenues. A lot of them actually got married, too, and like also <laughs> are having kids. So that was very interesting. Um, <laughs> like, that really stands out. No. However, like the class before me, like Tyler Jetling was in uh, that class, Ty Jordan, who's now at Virgin Edmonton. There, there's a lot of people that um, ended up doing different things after radio didn't work out necessarily. But I mean, Nate's still the best. We both know that. Still the best sea estate. <laughs> <laughs> so as you're going through, like you came into this because you were told that you talk too much as you're going through the program. Did you really think about anything other than on air? So I go in and I'm thinking I'm going to be on air or whatever. That changed right away. I actually wanted to go into promotions. <laughs> and I know that's really bizarre, but I loved being a part of the Sonic Street team so much 
that I wanted to do all the events and like coordinate all the events and stuff. That was kind of like something I was really interested in. When I was going to Nate, I thought I was like, promotions is going to be it. That's going to be it. And it turned out that it was more than that. So when the time came, you're, you're wrapping things up. And obviously the last semester at Nate is the work placement, the practicum. Where did you end up going? And did you find it difficult to get a placement? I actually got hired while I was still in school at Nate. Oh, so, shit. Yeah, I got picked up. Um, it was during our third semester. I got a call from Abby White. KG Country Red Deer to move down to Red Deer to do their weekends and also to do promotions. And I was like, cool. Okay. These are two things that I can kind of like venture into then on my own. So I finished the diploma on the road, wrapped it all up and moved to Red Deer within like probably a week of getting a call back. Yeah. Abby doesn't mess around. No, he doesn't. And like, he was awesome because it was my first job on air and he showed me the ropes. He gave me opportunities to do the midday show, which was really cool. So I did a lot more on air than actually promotions when I was at KG. And that's when I started to like announcing and really, really finding my niche as an on air announcer. The thing I've heard from a lot of program directors is that country is the hardest format to fake. Listeners, they live a, a certain lifestyle and they're really good at sniffing out bullshit. Were you a country girl coming into this? Were you having any difficulty adapting to that format at all? I never listened to a country song before I got hired to KG Country. And I was honest and I'm a very honest person. And I told Abby that I said, you know what? Like, I don't know the format. Like, I don't know any country. Like, I know country artists, but I don't know what they sing. So that was probably the toughest part was just kind of learning like the artist because I knew that the country demo was loyal. Like, I already knew that. So I'm like, okay, I got to learn a heck ton in like a week or whatever, right? Just so I can at least relate to the artist and the demo a little bit. So I spent like a week just studying, listening to a country playlist, getting my country boots ready to go, all that stuff. So I found it pretty easy because Red Deer was really welcoming to me. And like, because I was doing events with them, I was like the face of the station also. So people really adapted to me and it was a pretty easy transition, especially because I've never been on air before. So I was really easy to mold into that demo. The first gig can be difficult because you say that like most radio schools are pretty upfront about you're going to move. You're going to go somewhere. Yeah. You've probably never been before. You're going to be away from everything. How fortunate was it for you as an Edmontonian to only be down the highway? Extremely awesome because, okay, so I was doing the weekend show and I was like 19 at this point. Still, you know, like to party. I love my friends. But I would go to Edmonton, drive back and forth and come on air in the morning to do a show. And it was just, it was wild. I drove so much, but like I still lived in Red Deer, but I spent most of my time in Edmonton while I worked in Red Deer. You were able to go back. You were able to keep sort of those roots and probably also able to go home and do some laundry. That's funny. I actually would bring a laundry basket with me because I couldn't afford to do laundry. So I would go bring them to my dad's house, do my laundry, and then drive back to Red Deer. It made sense in my mind at the time, but the gas money I spent was ridiculous. <laughs> you said that you also uh, had a promotions aspect to the job in Red Deer. Did that sort of solidify things for you in knowing that promo was something that you were interested in, whether it was contesting, event 
organizing any of that stuff or did it start to fall to the side it kind of started to fall to the side at that point because i just love the listeners there i fell in love with being on air like i liked being in the studio i liked listening to the music and then carrying the promo equipment my man i was so over carrying (laughs) promo equipment I just couldn't do it anymore. I was too weak. It wasn't happening. The tents. Oh my God, the tents. I can't even, I don't even want to look at a tent anymore. Dude, try being 6'3", 250, 260 and working on a street team. I carried fucking everything. You would be a sweaty mess all the time. Well, that's just my life. (laughs) I have a big boyfriend too. I get it. I get it. All right, so you just talked about you love Red Deer, you love the listeners, you love the station, you love the job, and then you left. Where did you go? My practicum was up. So Abby actually gave me the opportunity to do a full-time afternoon drive show in Blairmore, Alberta. And you're probably thinking to yourself, what the fuck is Blairmore, Alberta? Because I said the same thing. Um, it's in Crozet Pass down south in like the mountains it's actually very gorgeous i'm not even kidding the demo there is you have to be over 75 you have to be retired and you have to live in this small town with like literally one gas station it was very remote (laughs) and what was the format there was that keeping on in country was that one of the the kg stations uh yeah so it's actually called mountain radio and uh it was a country format so i moved there to do afternoon drive and I only stayed there for like four months (laughs) so it was good I wasn't there very long but I mean like I I have really good stories from there because I was making absolutely no money and then I was now seven hours away from Edmonton so I couldn't go home all the time there was this one time because it gets hot down there and I couldn't afford AC or cable or anything like that so I didn't have any of that I didn't even have internet I was like, man, I'm dying of heat right now. What am I going to do? So I Googled. I went to like the library there because I didn't have internet. I Googled like how to make a homemade air conditioner. Oh, God. So I know. So I used like a foam cooler. I filled it with ice. I bought a fan and I like poked holes in this cooler (laughs) and then cool air would come through. It was so ghetto. Did it work though? I mean, the ice melted extremely fast. <laughs> it worked for maybe five minutes at the most. <laughs> oh, yeah. Blairmore was an interesting experience. Uh, but I did like, I was doing only on air there, which was really cool. So I got to do some really creative stuff and like get the juices flowing. And I had a lot of creative freedom there because they don't have a ton of listeners. So it's kind of like find your sound, find what you like and figure it out right between red deer and blairmore do you remember going on the air for the first time were you nervous or or have you always sort of been a confident person when it comes to this sort of thing you know what i'm pretty confident i really didn't struggle with it i think the most i was like stressed out about is like okay if i don't press the right button but that's the most minor thing right so no i was pretty confident because I just felt like I'm like, you know what? There's not a ton of listeners in this town that I was in at the time. I'm like, it's okay if if I mess up, like I'm just, I'll learn, right? It's always been a learning experience for me. And I think honestly, like if you're nervous, I get it for sure. But for me, it's like, well, if you make a mistake, you're human, like move on kind of deal. I don't remember really ever being nervous on air. So that's never been a struggle for me. Coming up on the four month mark, (laughs) why did you end up leaving Blairmore. Because then I got an offer to go to Leduc, Alberta, which is right outside of Edmonton, 
to do music directing and to be an afternoon drive show there. Was that the one? That was that the one, baby. 93 won the one. Well, Black Gold Broadcasting. That was a bit like a whole different ballpark of broadcasting. I will say that for sure. They treated me really well. Every place that I went when I was young treated me well anyways. I don't really have any complaints. And everything like that I did was a huge learning part. And also I worked with Gruff at the one. So that was like awesome because he taught me a lot of different things that I didn't know I could do. Gruff Kushnowski, his name's on the lips of a lot of people who say so-and-so mentored me. A lot of times the so-and-so in this neck of the woods is Gruff. And he works a lot with like, obviously like in smaller markets and stuff like that. So I think that's why so many people like, have him on on their team because he's dealt with so many people right i feel really like honored and blessed that i got to work with him because first off we had a friendship and then also he taught me music directing which is something that i never got the chance to do like much innate you do a bit of it but not a ton so yeah it was great it was really cool it didn't last long either there but i had a good time there and again this was uh the country format so you're you're starting to to fall in love with this genre of music i assume at this point yeah, I did. I really loved the listeners. I met so many cool artists like Dean Brody, Paul Brandt, all that. I loved everything about it. Uh, we would have new artists come in all the time and they were all super kind, super lovely people. But the thing about radio for me, it's not just the genre because you can adapt to a genre of music. I wanted more opportunities and I was like, I want more. I want more. I want a bigger market. I don't care what format it is. I want to be super successful. So honestly, I started to apply. I started to look around. I started to network even harder. Then along came Energy. Energy 106 in Winnipeg, which I want to get to in a second, but I do want to know yep. this. Going from New Cap to, I think Black Gold owns, what, two stations in Alberta, and that's about it. So significantly yeah. smaller, uh, which usually means fewer resources. Did that impact you at all as a broadcaster did you notice a difference of like oh well when i was over here we had this this and this and now we don't obviously there was like more of a budget with new caps so your contest you know all that in the first place would have been bigger right there was a lot of support with black wolf for sure like and i literally worked across the hall from like the owner of the company right but because i had gruff he already had all of these tools and resources so i didn't really have to rely on the company too much i just had to listen and ask questions to gruff and he was quick to answer anything obviously with a really small company like that you're not going to get the big fancy cars you're not going to get you know what i mean but if you network and you talk to people that way that's kind of what i did i took i took it as like you know what, I'm at a station, I'm still doing music, I'm doing this. It's a smaller company. They're paying me more, though. And I also get to work with Roth, who's now training me and teaching me different things that I didn't really get even in mountain radio because like we were so secluded there as well right so like i didn't have like a pd that i was working with at mountain radio so it was nice that i finally got that like someone i could talk to about radio who could really mold me and shape me into a good announcer and have my back if i needed a reference or whatever later on down the road hey it's grant with pippin technical service i don't want to jinx it but from the job postings and call volume it feels like a corner starting to be turned here's hoping everybody who wants to hop back in the saddle soon finds a spot one thing we know for sure is that radio may never look the same and from studios to infrastructure one topic that keeps coming up is going virtual or into the cloud there are 
two goals, really, with virtualization. One, make the tools that are used for professional broadcast more accessible, whether that be a four-station combo, scrappy independent underdog, or a work-from-home studio. And two, move away from custom-built hardware to software that lives on the same general-purpose servers that are used to run the internet. That brings down equipment costs, adds redundancy, and allows new features to be added to a product that previously may have necessitated buying a brand new box. It also means, instead of a large upfront CapEx cost for that box, those same tools can be had for a fraction of the price with a monthly license model. That evens the playing field. Want to talk about the future? Drop us a line at pippintech.com. We build broadcast. Did energy approach you, or you'd said earlier that you were doing some applying. Did you approach them first? So energy was a little bit weird because what happened was is I applied at energy, but then my very first co-host, Jeff Holland, who's now at KISS Edmonton, he asked me if I wanted to co-host a show with him in Winnipeg. And so I said, that's weird. I said, I already applied in Winnipeg, but uh, I wonder if it's for the same station. Like, I had no idea. I just saw the posting on Milkman and really, like, was applying and shooting for the stars because that's a major market and a huge huge upgrade right from where i was i looked more into it yeah it was the same station they offered me the job pretty much right after i applied and talked to jeff it's a hell of a reference holland must have given you i know right i was like oh wow you have a lot of confidence in me i'm like 21 i'm like all right i guess i'm gonna up and move my life two provinces away as someone who grew up in edmonton had you i mean other than maybe the odd vacation had you ever lived outside of alberta no i well actually that's not true sorry i lived in winnipeg i was born in winnipeg but then we moved when I was like young. I was like six, and then I grew up in Alberta. I'd never really remember leaving anywhere than Alberta. It was kind of weird. I was like, oh, I'm moving two provinces away from everyone, and I don't even really know what the city looks like or anything now. <laughs> Not yeah. only moving to a major market, because that was a big thing on your list and something you hadn't done to this point, but also moving into the marquee position of a morning show. And I never... It, this doesn't happen for everyone and it doesn't happen this fast. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Like I feel super lucky how it all worked, but I was so overwhelmed when I got the offer because I was like, yes, I'm taking it. This is crazy. A major market morning show. Like, are you kidding me? But I was shitting my pants. I'm like, holy, this is a lot. Like it just completely changed my life. Right. I'm confident, but I didn't know or think that I would be doing a morning show at 21 years old in Winnipeg. I think if you're 21 and already getting a major market morning show and you're not shitting your pants, that's actually more concerning because then you're a psychopath. Absolutely. Absolutely. So <laughs> next time someone comes up with a story like this, if they're not shitting their pants and something's wrong with them for sure. So I knew Jeff through Nick. And we like we talked, obviously, like everyone talks on social media and whatever else. Like we kept in touch a little bit, I guess, after school finished and I was moving around, but like not a ton. I don't know if like he was listening to my show previously. I don't really know or really remember how or why he chose that he wanted to do a morning show with me. But he was definitely the one who reached out and then Energy reached out like right after. I don't want you to take this uh, in a negative way because I don't mean it that way but you have a huge personality. What was it like now having to share airtime with a partner for the first time? At the time, my personality has always been big, but I was excited to try to co-host a show with someone because I knew 
that if I wanted to continue to do mornings in a major market or even an afternoon show, that's like the new thing, I would have to learn to share the mic, share the on-air time. And Adam was, Adam, my program director at the time, Adam West, he made it very clear that we were going to be 50-50 on everything. Everything was going to be shared equally. That's how it was the entire time. I was at Energy. Like, it wasn't one person's going to talk more. It wasn't even like that. I adapted to it pretty quick sharing the mic because it just, it came really natural co-hosting for me and hosting the show with someone else. Every show, multi-person show, takes time to gel. It gets easier the more that you do it, even with different dance partners, but especially that first time, there's tripping over each other, there's not really knowing who's gonna have the out. Did you struggle with that at all, or did you guys sort of manage to take that speed bump in stride? With Jeff, it was more challenging because he also has a very big personality. So we have two big personalities. In some ways, we are similar. In some ways, we're different. So it was, I think, a little bit hard for us to adapt. But fast forward with Tyler, it was not at all. So, Like I said, it gets easier with time. What happened that led from Sarah and Jeff to Sarah and Tyler? Well, actually, it was energy mornings with Jeff and Sarah. <laughs> Jeff ended up leaving on personal reasons, and those are not my reasons to share with anyone. So he ended up leaving. He was not in Winnipeg very long. Like, he was here for three months, I want to say, something like that. So he wasn't here very long, and he moved on to different things and was obviously doing his own thing now. And, like, there's no hard feelings that Jeff and I were, were all good. Adam kind of gave me the opportunity to pick who I wanted to work with next, and he said... You can take your time, look in the market, see who you like, and we'll go over their demo and their resume. So I was on social media just looking, like just searching my list because I have so many people in media on Facebook and whatever else, right? We all do in media. That's the thing that happens. And I saw Tyler, and I talked to Tyler very briefly online, like commented on a couple things, but I've never met him. Like we didn't know each other. I was listening. I was paying more attention to him. And I'm like, you know what? He's in Brooks, Alberta. At the one uh, ironically his station was called the one as well and I'm like I really think that I would like him and I would want to work with him so I told my boss Adam about him we got his demo within the next few weeks he ended up starting at energy he took the job we never met before we met for a quick Winnipeg Goog which is at BDI which is a big ice cream place here we went on air I think it was like the next day wow just that fast it was very fast. And when Tyler and I hit the mic, it was just like chemistry. Like it was so smooth. I'm like, holy crap. This is what it's like to actually have a really good connection with someone. And just, you just, you know, when you have a good break, you're just like, fuck yeah, we just played that. So it was one of those days where we're like, this is going to work. We knew right away. How quickly did you guys develop the relationship off the air as well because there are shows listen they can come in and you can tell they've got chemistry they're bouncing off each other every break is super tight it sounds awesome and then you find out that when they get off the air they don't fucking talk to each other for a mm -hmm. minute you guys very clearly had a deep-seated friendship how long did that take oh i'm just gonna cry thinking about it just because i just love him it was really quick. Like I said, we went to the ice cream shop first day we met, bonded over pretty much everything, hung out after work. Like within that week, I'm pretty sure we labeled each other best friends because <laughs> off mic, we just got along. Like we would obviously 
go off mic and talk a little bit more aggressive, swearing, not PG-13 anymore. But it was like our show on air, just off air. Like, it was just everything was just good. We always had fun. And that was, like, our main thing was, like, we're best friends. We have fun. If you like to hang out with us six, then you're going to like our show. Energy has a very different demographic than any of the stations you'd worked at. Like, honestly, maybe when you were street teaming in Edmonton is probably the closest you would have come to trying to interact with the same audience. Was it a switch for you or did it feel more natural, more comfortable, really speaking to your own generation? It definitely was more comfortable for me. Like, I know the lingo, the music I knew. So there was a lot of things that clicked right away for me and like how I can talk to someone and Obviously, my sound has changed. Like, I was at Energy for four years. So my sound changed a lot. Like, when I first jumped on mic with Jeff, it was a lot different than it is now, even. Like, when we first jumped on, I was just adapting to the demo. So then by the time Tyler showed up, I knew the demographic. I knew the music. So it, it worked really well. It was like a nice little introduction with Jeff. And then I really found my sound and our show when Tyler showed up. You say you know the lingo. What are your thoughts on an almost 37-year-old man who kind of uses lit too often? That is super lit. You (laughs) are approved, and you are officially a cool dad. (laughs) Good for you. I'll take it. (laughs) You can go Facebook about it later with Aunt Cheryl. Yes. It's funny you mentioned that you were actually born in Winnipeg because your whole rep here is as someone who has just deep-set roots in the community it's almost surprising to hear that you've only been in winnipeg for four years discounting the first six that you probably don't even remember because it feels like when you hear people talk about you and you see your body of work in the community like you have been here forever what was sort of the reason that made you want to get so involved in this community i loved the people and when i started at energy Everybody was welcoming. So that was the right away, like, you're going to welcome me into your lives. I'm going to welcome you into my life. It was a big thing about, first off, I love shopping local in the first place. Like, even when I was in Leduc and stuff, like, I was friends with the mayor and all that stuff. Like, that just comes natural to me because I support local businesses. And I think you shop local, it's going back to the community. You support local events. It's helping out people in the community. I'm very, very community-driven. And I love going to the farmer's market. I love going to local shows. I love supporting stand-up comedy. Like, those are things that I just find interesting. Whether I was in radio or not, I just have a platform to share all the great local businesses and local voices out there. But I would be doing local everything, even if radio wasn't a thought. And you can tell because even now you're still... I I saw you in the newspaper the other day at a protest. (laughs) You you are still getting out and doing some stuff what would you say are some of the highlights on your community resume oh gosh a couple years ago tyler and i hosted the winnipeg nightlife awards so that was a big one that's like the big local all the businesses get nominated it's a red carpet event very cool i also hosted the mayor's election mayor brian bowman's election in 2018 so that was a fun experience they approached me to do that and uh, i was honored and nervous as shit you again that was the only (laughs) time that i was like shaking on a mic man i was tripping out but it worked out really well so that's a really big one 
Matt, we've done so many things, like uh, concerts, events, whatever. I was going to be doing a charity boxing event as well, but that didn't work out, unfortunately. But that was also a thing that we were looking forward to. So there's been a lot of community-based events. I also hooked up with Studio 393, which is here in the city, and it's for uh, at-risk youth that need help in radio or production. So I was teaching a couple classes with them. I got hired by the Gold Eyes, the baseball team here, to host their games this season, but then fuck COVID happened, of course. So <laughs> so it, there's been so many crazy things that have happened to me in Winnipeg and experiences and events that I've been so honored to be a part of. And energy has also really labeled itself, and, and probably because it's an Evanov station, Evanov, of course, responsible for Pride FM out in the East, they've really positioned themselves and and executed a lot of things to show as an LGBTQ plus two ally. And you have been there at the forefront of a lot of that. What has that experience been like? Amazing. Pride Winnipeg is such a great organization and how they run Pride and the people that are involved in it, like the bars that get involved. And if you've never been to a Pride Festival in Winnipeg, man, they have it at the Forks. It's just beautiful. And for me, I've always been a firm believer in love who you love, do what you want to do, obviously be nice, be kind, be humble, be all those things. But if it doesn't concern you and you're against something, why? I just, it doesn't make sense to me. So any Pride Festival, even when I was in Edmonton, from when I was 18, like I would go to all of them. Pride here is just great. The community is great. Everyone knows each other in Winnipeg. It's like a small, big city. So we all kind of are a part of Pride in a way because we all know each other or know someone in, involved in the community. And the fact of the matter is, is that Pride Parade is the best parade. So fun. And energy, we've walked in it over the years. When I was working at the Bounce years ago, we also participated in it. They're the best parades. They're fun. Everyone's usually drunk. It's just great. 10 a.m. drunk, hello. Like, this is great. See, the Wolf and Regina would always go in. The, the whole Harvard cluster, My92, The Wolf, and 620 CKRM would always go in the Pride Parade in Regina. And and I never uh, wanted to be in it. I never wanted to be in the truck. And people started asking, like, why do you always say no to being in the Pride Parade? I'm like, because I want to take my kids and sit on the parade route and watch the whole thing instead of being in the truck and just being there because it's so fun and my kids have a blast and Regina has an honestly uncomfortable amount of parades for forever. Yeah. They'll throw a parade for nothing. Right. Pride Parade yeah. blows them all out of the way. See, and that's really cool that you're taking your kids and educating your kids on all of that. Like, I respect the heck out of parents and people that are doing that and just trying to understand and learn more. And like pride is not only about like the fun celebration is about educating yourself and learning more about the community and what these people have been through because their stories can either make you super warm or break your heart. Moving on to where we are now, you had this great four year run and, and you definitely built an audience. We've seen them become very vocal over the last week as you are now no longer with Energy 106 in Winnipeg, what happened and was there any kind of writing on the wall leading up to that last day? Yeah, this is like the shitty, sad part of it. All good things come to an end, I guess. So Monday, I went in to go do the show. Everything's been good. I love everyone that I work with. Everyone loves me that I'm working with. 
you know, we did COVID. That was a tough break for anyone to do, you know, doing COVID breaks a lot. But, like, there was nothing. Monday, we go upstairs after our show was done, and I get pulled into Adam's office, and within, like, three minutes, it's like, hey, you, your life is gone now. Like, we're, we're restructuring the morning show. And I'm like, what? Like, why? And it was just... I won't get into too much detail with that just because it's like very fresh still. But it was it was a complete shock and I knew Adam was upset when he did it. I knew that. But what is bothering me is that you're saying, okay, we're going to restructure our morning show. In radio terms, that means you take both parts out, right? So I ended up leaving. I got walked out. I did the key thing, all that fun stuff. Um, I pulled my car over to the side into this random parking lot and I just started crying because I'm like, man, what the fuck just happened? Like, this is so fast. I have so many questions, but I don't know what to do, right? And then I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, Tyler's going to call me. Tyler's going to call me. He's going to tell me that we both have to go look for jobs. We're going to both start networking together, blah, blah, blah. But I never got that call from Tyler. And I'm like, fuck. I'm like, they kept Tyler. Like, I, I, I know that they kept Tyler. And I just got canned. And I don't really understand. To this day, really, I just, I don't get it. I later found out that, yeah, Tyler's staying. I'm gone. Tyler called me pretty upset, saying, I don't really know what's going on right now, Sarah. And I asked him, I said, you have the floor, the opportunity to tell me right now if you knew anything. Because I'm not going to be mad. I'm going to be very almost at ease so at least I knew like if there was something you know he told me nope he didn't know anything so I'm like all right awesome like this is really cool I just I told him I was like I'm gonna put my phone away for the day I'm just gonna chill and get super drunk and figure this out so uh that's what I did so I got home I obviously told my boyfriend what was going on parents the people that really are close to me and I said to I said to Riley, my boyfriend, I said, I don't really want anyone to know what's going on right now. I said, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna release anything. I'm not gonna say I got fired. I don't wanna do anything on social media because I don't wanna brag about that and I also don't like wanna look bad. Like I just I didn't want people to be like, Oh, woe is me, she got fired. Like I didn't want anyone to think that I was looking for sympathy or anything like that. I ended up getting super drunk on Monday because I just was like, okay, whatever. My girlfriend and I had some wine at her house. I ended up sleeping there. Woke up in the morning. We had a really nice breakfast. And then she just asked, she said, are you going to like talk to your listeners? Because at this point, Adam sent out a press release to Milkman and all of these other like newspapers picked it up saying that I got fired and I woke up with all these messages. So I'm like, I have to do something. And that's when the video happens. In radio, especially modern radio, because it's become so much more multi-platform to be a radio host than just to crack the mic and yap at people on the frequency, we all dream of having a video go viral the way that you did, just maybe not under those circumstances. When you sat down to record sort of your statement, your thank you to the audience and, and all these other things. Did you expect that it was going to become like a, a, a national trending thing? 
if I thought it was going to go viral, I probably would have put on some fucking makeup or something. <laughs> put like trash in that video. <laughs> you know, I did that video. So like I said, I had breakfast with my girlfriend. I was like, I'm going to do this video. I'm going to do it in your sunroom. It's going to be super raw. I'm doing first take. I'm going to do it from the first take. I'm not going to practice anything. I'm just going to let it flow. And that's it. And that's what I did. I didn't practice anything. I just really spoke from my heart and it was very raw and I'm not a very emotional person. So it was, it was tough for me to do something like that and like share it. But I also felt like I owed that to the listeners and to the people that were reaching out to me because I don't want them to think that Tyler and I, that there was bad blood between us or anything like that. Cause that's not fair. And I wanted to make it clear that, you know what, like, yeah, I got, fired but a lot of people do in radio that's kind of what happens and just to like thank everyone because this community meant a lot to me and you know my whole life just got taken from me my job I might have to move from a city that I love that I have a boyfriend here we have dogs here like it was just it's a lot I lost my best friend I lost my radio station like it was a lot to handle and so I posted that video and then I put my phone down and it just blew up like I was at the beach and I saw that I went viral and I was like, oh shit, okay, this is crazy. <laughs> it was a weird, weird beach day. There were really two outpourings of support, sort of when the news broke, when the release got uh, let out from the station from Milkman, all that stuff, when it became public, the public sort of reached out to you know express their condolences, to say they were going to miss you, to ask what was happening, people in the industry saying things like they knew you were going to bounce right back. And then you did the video, and uh, the other outpouring that I saw was how many people in this industry were so impressed with you going with this statement and and not burying your former employer, not burying the guy who let you go, not burying the ex-co-host, any of that stuff. At 24, you're not supposed to be that professional in that situation. So where did that come from? Well, I got to thank my family for raising a genuine, nice person. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things that I, I learned early on in this career. Like, don't burn bridges. For me, it, it's pretty easy to take a positive outlook on something that's shitty. Because what am I going to do? I'm going to sit there and cry and get mad. Well, there's literally nothing I can do. The only way to move forward is to look positive forward. So I went with, you know what? this happened i don't really want to talk about the parts in detail of what happened but i'm good i'm alive i i have good friends still i have really supportive people obviously with me and i just i i carry that attitude every day whether that video would have went viral or not that's how i look at this situation one door closes another one opens, and in this case it was a lot that opened up <laughs> it had to feel good to see just how many people not only we're, we're saying like, oh, I can't believe this has happened. And, and there's there's an outrage that's going on. And I don't want to get into that because that's not your story. That's someone else's story. But there was all of that. But there was also all these people that were basically reaching out to tell you how you touched their lives, whether it was that they didn't know what they were going to do with their mornings without you and Tyler, that they couldn't believe someone who had done, you know, X, Y, Z event was no longer going to be in their lives, all that sort of thing. 
did it feel like that investment of your time and your energy in the last four years was really on display at that time? I worked my ass off here and I definitely won't sugarcoat that. Like I was, especially when I first started here, doing every and all events that I could. And I went out and I shook pre-COVID a lot of hands and kissed a lot of babies. Like I did a lot of groundwork to build an audience and to make them feel like they were loved. So the one thing that I always did on social media, someone reached out to me, well, I'm not going to put them on red. I'm going to reply. So I made sure for the last four years, every single message was uh, replied to in a personal way. I made sure if there was a volunteer thing, if there was, you know, a birthday shout out, if someone needed help promoting an event, I was doing all of this on my personal stuff, not even on energy. This is like aside from energy. Like this was all on my personal social media. When listeners called us, I treated them like they were young. They were my family. Like I called our listeners, my sisters or my brothers and my best friends, all that. Cause I, I felt like that. I'm like, you guys are my friends. You guys want to hang out and listen to me all morning long. I wouldn't want to do that, but that's cool. You want to do that. That's <laughs> awesome. So, you know, it was, it was, it's, yeah, it's sad. And like, you know, the mayor reached out to me and stuff. So there's been a lot of people that have contacted me and sent me like warm wishes and all the best and whatever else. But I'm more so worried about like my listeners, if they're going to be fulfilled on air or are they going to have that? Because a lot of our listeners are going through, you know, layoffs and stuff. And because of COVID, some of them were going through depression. I just want to make sure that they're also good at the end of the day, right? Like they spent four years listening to us and I appreciate their time. My favorite thing that has happened, and it's weird to say I have a favorite part of you getting fired, but <laughs> there's another Energy 106 in Belfast, Ireland. Anybody who has a similar name to a celebrity and is on Twitter knows exactly how this feels. They've been getting accidentally added in, in a ton of these offshoot conversations, and they've come out in support of you publicly, and you're now uh -huh. going to be doing some side work. I, I assume you're not moving to Ireland, but what are you doing with this Energy 106? This is my favorite part about me getting fired as well. So I'm going to be doing voiceover work there, commercials and like imaging <laughs> stuff for them. So it was wild and random, but I got lost like I've lost so many tweets because they're just like every I'm not even kidding man like every two minutes I have like 20 new notifications on Twitter so I didn't even realize what was going on with this Belfast station and then all of a sudden someone actually like DM'd me and was like hey have you seen this thread yet I'm like no so I go to it I'm like what the fuck I'm like <laughs> this station in Ireland this top 40 station in Ireland is like Standing up for me and reading up on what's happening here. People are asking me to go there and like co-host the show. So I actually tweeted at them. I said like, thanks for the love or whatever. And once COVID's over, let's have a beer and I'm going to come co-host the show with you. And then they actually DM'd me after that. And they said, um, we support you. We love you. Send us an email. We want to keep in touch. So I did. And they actually listened to a demo tape I had and stuff. And then... They asked me to do voiceover work, so I am now doing voiceover in Ireland. This industry is simultaneously the most infuriating yet beautifully fascinating fucking thing on earth. It's amazing. Like I that <laughs> is so funny. I'm like, they're awesome. Those that and that station's kick ass, by the way. That energy one oh six station 
in Belfast, whatever the hell they're doing, like music directors, look up their playlist. It is very, like they're tight. It's, it's pretty good. All right. Listen, some of us still have ratings to worry about. Stop trying to drive yeah. listeners overseas for Christ's sake. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> I'm the one who got fired. I don't remember that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people have been asking what does come next? And I know that it's been literally a week. So I know that you don't exactly have the five-year plan carved out. But does the plan involve just applying, looking to see what's out there? Is there maybe potential for other avenues, Twitch, podcast, YouTube, whatever, for people who are looking for Sarah Nick right now? Do you have anything sort of in the works that they could look forward to? I have a lot in the works, actually. I have like a big sheet of paper with all the things I have coming up. So aside from radio, this is just other shit that I'm doing in the community. I'm doing like an Instagram live takeover with downtown Peggy. I have a couple of photo shoots coming up, a couple of volunteer things that I signed up for within the community. So that is a side. That's just on top of the other stuff. I've had a lot of people reach out already. I don't know what I'm going to do next. I know it's going to be in radio. I'm not quitting radio. Like, yeah, I got fired, but... I want to do radio. I'm passionate at it, and I think I'm good at it. So I'm definitely going to stay in the industry. I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't know what station I'm going to work for. So if you're looking, hire me. But, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't, like, aside from that, I'm going to do a lot of freelance work, lots of script reading. I do have a podcast that I was working on previous to getting fired, and I'm still working out the details for that. I definitely want to do that because I don't want to lose I don't want to lose that skill and I also don't want to lose listeners that way. So I'm definitely going to put out videos and hopefully a podcast if nothing comes up in the next couple months. People are looking to follow you if they haven't already been swept up in the internet hysteria yet. Where can people find you for these future projects? Yeah, so I'm just at Sarah Nick FM. S-A-R-A-H-N-I-C-K-F-M. And welcome to the city because you just got thrown into a shit storm of media drama right away. Oh, it's been great because nobody's looking at me. I, I People barely even know who I am. I've just been able to sort of casually sit back in a rocking chair with a lemonade and watch this shit go down. It's been great. Yeah, right now pretty much any on-air announcer could mess up on air and you're going to get like a jail-free card. You'll be good to go. Brock and I were talking about this literally on the weekend saying that when we got here, Winnipeg is, is cabin cottage country. You know that. There's a lot of people who are out doing stuff for the summer. They're just starting to come back into the city. Now they're all distracted with what's going on in that end of town. It's, we've had basically a month of being on air, of just getting reps in and getting up to speed. By the time people figure out we're even here, we're going to sound awesome. You guys are going to have a wicked show. Yeah, good for you. You know all the streets, everything. <laughs> I'm still working on some of those pronunciations. I know. Some of them are very weird. I get it. I feel you. Sarah, you are definitely not done with your radio story, but thank you for coming to tell part one of it with us here today. Oh, my goodness. You are so welcome. And thank you for having me on and reaching out. That's super awesome. This has been the Off Mic Podcast, brought to you by Pippin Technical. Tune in next week for more great stories from more great broadcasters. Follow the show on social media. Search Off Mic Podcast on Facebook or on Twitter and tell us who you want to hear on the show. I'm Drew Dalby. Thanks for listening. <laughs>